Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast. We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to intentionality, diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. Enjoy! is Kurt. I am happy to see you this morning. I love Christmas and all things that are great. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Christmas this morning. But in particular, we're going to talk about Christmas and God and this whole Jesus coming to earth and family dynamics this morning. So um, if you are like, I love my family. This is great. It's going to be a great morning. If you're like, oh no, I just did Thanksgiving. Um, Take some deep breaths, huh? Uh, And if you need to, uh, we say this a lot, but we give you full permission to like mentally check out at different points during the message. Uh, Because there's like some things that we do in life that you're like, what's a healthy choice for you right now? Sometimes the healthy choice is to cope for a little bit. Just be aware of like, oh, I'm coping right now because I can't deal with this. Is that all right, therapist in the room? Did I? I'm like scanning some. Okay. And to do this this morning... Uh, because I like these conversations, but I am not qualified in any way, shape, and or form to have them, especially from the front. That's why we have Connie Baker is going to be sharing with us. Uh, yeah. Did you hear that woo? Oh, it was a woo of love from like guttural. Love it. Connie's the best therapist here in town. Uh, she does a lot of work with... The best therapist? Oh, no. I, all right. This is what I'm going to pretend. There's no competition. She's the best. Period. Punctuation matters. And she's a therapist in town. Is that good? Oh, how'd we do? How'd we do? Uh, She's the best and a therapist in town. And I'm excited that she's going to be sharing about all this. Uh, All right. Let's tell a story, huh? (laughs) I normally don't feel bad, but making some people feel bad about themselves is literally my worst nightmare. So I'll be visiting this one in my dreams in the future. <laughs> All right. So I was in college and uh, I went, so I grew up in uh, Central Valley of California, uh, right next to Turlock. Shout out. Um, <laughs> and I went up to Seattle uh, for school. And so because I didn't, like, we didn't have a lot of money, I didn't get to go visit home a lot. So when I was up there, I was like up there. And one of the fun things, if any of you had the opportunity uh, to go away for college, is to meet friends and then go meet your friends' friends. So I had this friend named Josh, and he grew up in Parkland and Tacoma, uh, which is like 45 minutes south of uh, Seattle. And so one weekend, he's like, hey, a bunch of friends from growing up, my brother, we're all going to go sledding on the mountain. Do you want to come? And I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's go do that. Now, I grew up in the Central Valley of California. So I'm like, oh, snow weather? Yeah, jeans and a sweatshirt. I'm good. <laughs> that's just like what I owned when it came to winter wear. So I showed up very ill-prepared. But because we were all college students, we did college student sledding which is cardboard boxes and um, plastic bags. You just put a plastic bag around the cardboard, you go sledding all down. And we have a great day and we're hanging out and we're having fun. Uh, Everyone's like really enjoying each other. I'm like, this is the perfect day. Um, And because this is a story that I'm telling, it didn't end there. So 
what ended up happening is I like to tell jokes. And one of the things that was really helpful for me is sometimes uh, I hang out with people and like I'll say a joke and they're like, that's not funny. Don't tell that joke. And I'm like, oh, here's, here's what I'm trying to do. Because I, I read this once and it really resonated with me. People that tell lots of jokes uh, may also like to play games. And jokes are verbal games. So when I tell a joke, I'm not like, evaluate it and tell me if it's good or not. I'm like, just imagine like a happy little kid throwing a ball to someone, like, wanna play? And when people are all, not funny. That just ruins <laughs> everything. You're like, it doesn't have to be funny. Do you wanna play? Like, you, you make a joke. Make a joke about my joke, that's fun. So, this is important to set. This is the scene in the car. I'm like, we're gonna have fun, I'm gonna tell jokes. Now, being a college student in 2002 means I was a high school student in the late 90s, which for me meant that I obsessively watched Adam Sandler films. So like Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison, like just watched them on repeat and on repeat. And then like he kept making films and I was like, what? And then he did a comedy special. I'm like, oh, there you are. So if you haven't seen it yet and like you like old Adam Sandler, you'll probably enjoy it. But one of the movies that I really enjoyed at that time was Wedding Singer. And Wedding Singer is like, it's kind of a dark movie. And there's this one scene in particular where they ask him this hard question, and Adam Sandler says, my mom, my parents died when I was 10, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, that's the right reaction out of context. <laughs> so I'm having fun, we're in the car, we're just throwing around stories and jokes, and like beforehand, my friends are like, oh yeah, we like the same movies, all this, I'm like, this is great. And someone's like, we're literally laughing, full volume in a van, and someone from the front's like, yeah, I remember that one time Kurt ran into the tree so hard? It was like, ha, ha, ha. I'm like, yeah, my mom died when I was 10. You want to talk about that? <laughs> no one was talking or laughing at all. It was just deathly quiet in the car. And I'm like, wait, what? What happened? We were, we were doing like a choke thing. And it was just really quiet. And then someone from the front was like, I am so, so sorry. <laughs> Which, in retrospect, can you imagine that that was the moment someone decided to like bare their soul to a car for a people? <laughs> yeah, you really wiped out of the snow. Yeah, my parents are dead. <laughs> and it crushed me. I remember like driving in the car back with my friend for the 45 minutes up to Seattle. It was just like, but what was that? We were having fun. You told me they got these references. It was like a joke. Why didn't they get the joke? And a part of that is I discovered that I have a role in my family. I'm the comic relief in my family. I'm the youngest by a long stretch. Um, it's one of my favorite jokes. Hi, my name's Kurt. I'm a botched vasectomy. Um, it's funny because it's true. <laughs> So, my next closest sibling, I love watching your faces. Every time I say that, I love watching faces. <laughs> so, my next closest sibling is eight years older than I am. And then my brother's 10 years older. So, I'm much, much younger. And so, forever, I was like the little cute kid that made jokes. And when you try and take that identity, it doesn't just work in the family. You start to think like, this is who I am. And then when you go to school, you're like, well, I'm supposed to be the funny joke person that relieves the tension. 
And when I get in a car full of strangers after a full day of sledding, I think I'm the funny joke person supposed to relieve the tension. And when it doesn't work, all of a sudden you go, oh, no. Who am I? What am I? How do I fit? Do I fit in this group? Should I not hang out with these people? Do they not want to be my friend? Which to anyone else in the car, they would just be like, yeah, it's kind of an awkward moment. But it wasn't just an awkward moment for me. It brought up all these things about identity. And the reason why we're talking about that this morning is because we're going to look at this section in 1 John 3. John uses this imagery about the family of God, that we belong as children of God. And so what we want to look at and explore this morning is, that's a metaphor that if you grew up in the church, you might be familiar with, or you might be new to the church, and like you're just kind of learning, like, what does that look like? What does that mean? As Connie and I were talking about this, and Connie was like, this is the Sunday I want to teach. This is the thing I want to talk about. And I love all that she's going to bring this morning. Like, your minds are going to be blown. It's going to be so helpful. Because starting to identify the roles maybe we filled in our families of origin might be roles that we tried to transfer over to the church. And when it works, great, we feel like we belong. But then sometimes something breaks or something doesn't work. And now we start asking all kinds of questions about our identity. Maybe questions we've had to face in our family, but maybe questions we're acknowledging about, do I belong in the family of God? So that's what we want to talk about this morning. That's what we kind of want to unpack and look at. So to do that, if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be looking at 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3. Um, Normally, I would say, if you didn't, don't worry, they'll be on the screen, but... You should probably worry. They will not be on the screen. Uh, But you can just listen. It's just three verses here. 1 John 3 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. And we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies themselves, just as he is pure. So, some context to kind of set the stage. What is this talking about? What's going on? First John uh, is a letter that John is writing, and John was one of the apostles, Uh, John and James, the the sons of Zebedee. So this is someone who followed around Jesus. And whether or not John actually wrote it, it would be, if not John, John's closest followers. So people that kind of understood how John interacted with Jesus and interacted with the world. And John is writing this letter to these little churches all around Ephesus. Uh, And we've talked about this a couple of weeks ago. What was happening in Ephesus was this new thing was happening. Uh, Christianity didn't exist. It wasn't a thing with lots of buildings with crosses on it that you would grow up with and see. It was this new kind of movement. And as the new movement was developing, there were some people that were saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I get Christianity. It's like this. And we talked about some of the earliest kind of uh, different understandings of it were culturally informed in the way that they would have separated the physical world and spiritual reality. And what they were doing is that they were taking Christianity and just understanding it within a spiritual reality. So they were saying, like, and we we talked about this before, that Jesus appeared to be human but wasn't human, was just spiritual. Or as we talked about the Doasis, they believe that, like, Jesus was just a guy, 
But then Christ came into the body of Jesus at the baptism, which is the beginning of his ministry. And then right before Jesus was crucified, the Christ left. So that the Christ, the spiritual reality, never suffered. It was just the physical suffering. When John is writing this, John is trying to bring these two things back together. Because if you can imagine this community of people, they've suffered loss. They were in this thing together. They came and understood who, Christ, uh, who Jesus was together. They were in these little house churches. They were like a family. And then a large group of them left. And they said, yeah, the way you're talking about it, you're making it messy with like humanity and spirituality. It's not that. It's actually this over here. And we can't hang out together. We can't be a church together. We don't agree on this thing, so we have to go. So when John is writing this, I think some of the core fears that this community had was fears of belonging. If you've ever worked somewhere and a bunch of people who work there all leave, quit, or are fired to find new jobs, sometimes you can usually say, well, they had to go. Like, our company is strong. The place where I work is good. We're making the good decision here by staying, and they're making the bad decision to go. Or you can look around and say, wait, why am I staying? Should, should I leave too? Like, are we all leaving? Are we doing this thing? Whenever you're a part of something that people leave, it causes you to really question and examine, why am I still a part of this thing? So when John's writing this letter, what John is trying to appeal to is there's a greater belonging you have than just to each other and of God. That there's this difference of opinion, but you ultimately belong to God as children of God. And then to, to help address the question, okay, if we all belong as children of God, then why did they leave and why did we stay? What John does is he points to Jesus. He's saying, all right, so you were all in a community and some people left. I mean, they, they didn't believe that this was the thing. Do you remember Jesus? People around Jesus didn't believe Jesus was the Christ. They so much didn't believe he was the Christ that they crucified him. If what you're saying is we're a part of this community and people don't understand it, and maybe I'm trying to explain to people like the kind of Christianity I'm a part of, maybe around like a family dinner and people are like, what are you talking about? Like that doesn't sound like the church at all, hypothetically. You can say, oh, this feeling that I have of not being understood or not being identified for what I'm a part of, this is an, an experience of Jesus. When Jesus came to the earth, not understood, not. So when John's drawing this family metaphor, the first important thing is you belong. And two, the God that you serve identifies with your feeling of abandonment, of being misunderstood, of not being a part of it. So, with that as kind of the basis of this understanding of the family of God, we want to turn it over to Connie, and Connie is going to bring some therapist heat. All right, welcome, Connie. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, woos and applause. I'm loving today. Okay, good. I'm going to put this up just now. Oh, good. All right, good. Yes, let's have a what. And I'm going to stay up here because I, after sitting with Connie this week, I told Connie, I'm just going to be your hype man. Because some of this is so good, every once in a while I'm going to be like, whoa, did you hear that? That's the only reason I'm up here. <laughs> and I, I told him he gets paid by the wow. So if he says that a lot, that he's bringing in the bucks for me. Okay. Wow. Oh, this is such fun material because as we were thinking about this, and part of why I wanted to jump on this sermon in particular is because... 
I know how we do everything. We do, uh, there's an axiom I use from time to time, how we do one thing is how we do everything. And in our family of origin, we learn how to do a thing. We learn how to play a role. So how does this transfer to things like the family of God, our workplace, our community, the associations we have in any group situation? So let's have a little fun with this. Ushers, um, do we have stuff we can hand out at this point? Or? Oh, sure. Thank you. Okay. So what's here? Let's make a pact. I need some. I need some. I need you to work with me. He's handing stuff out. I want you to turn it upside down. Will you do that for me? Okay, because I want you to write on the back, and I'm just a touch of a control freak, so I don't want you to see some of this till we get to the topic. But I want. Who also does everybody have a pen or a pencil? I'm going to go teacher on you here. Less preacher, more teacher. Um, so if you have a pen or pencil, I think it could be helpful for you both to track and to kind of absorb some information. I'm on the back. That looks While they're finishing uh, passing these out, I'd like you to make a diagram on the back that looks just like that. Now, you guys have seen my artwork before. Yep, it's coming back. Here it is. All right. Uh, so I want you to get a diagram going right there. And we're going to talk about families. We're going to look at a spectrum. People and families are not black or white, all or nothing. They work on a continuum. We work on a continuum. In any given characteristic in our life, most of us are on a continuum in that characteristic. So let's look. On this one, I want to put closeness. Okay? We were going to have this on overhead, but I can do this. And then the other one, on this axiom, I want you to put flexibility. And here at the top, I want you to put distant. And at the bottom, put enmeshed. On this side, I want you to put chaotic. And on this end, I want you to put rigid. This is an adaptation from Prepare and Rich. It's not, does, did not start in my head. Uh, it, we've just adapted this here for today. Because what I want you to do is I want you to start thinking about your family of origin now. Now that you kind of have some of this set up and ready to go, I want you to think about your family of origin. I'm going to walk through mine so you kind of know. From if we have rigid, extremely rigid over here to very chaotic. In other words, how flexible was your system? How flexible was your family? Now, in most families, we're flexible in one regard and not very flexible in another. You know, but as an overall look at things, where, where did your family fall? I'm going to put mine pretty far over here, okay? It, I was the firstborn of two firstborns, and if you understand why I twitch, that's why, okay? We, got, we had two, you know, high-achieving firstborn sorts that, that were said, here's the way life happens. They had me at 21 years old, we're children, and then I was the firstborn. So we had, the, the family system was not chaotic. It was quite ordered, okay? So it was pretty far over here, all right? Now, in terms of distant to, to enmeshed on the level of closeness, my family probably fell pretty 
pretty close to here. They weren't as extreme in that regard. There was, some, there was the ability to be distant and have your own independence, and the, but there was quite a bit of closeness, but wasn't enmeshed and in each other's stuff too much all the time. All right, are these making sense, y'all? We're, we're tracking on this? All right, we're good? If we need some more explanations, any questions? Go teacher. This isn't church now. This is classroom for a minute. So if you have any questions, let me know. Yes. Oh, it's good. Right on. Okay. Wonderful. So where are you guys? Where are you on this? Now, now, fun thing is plot your significant other or one of your best friends that you're trying to work with. This is where it gets a little, can be a little dicey. If I marry somebody who's on the more chaotic end and very distant, then we're going to have a lot of work to do. It's going to be pretty challenging. Not bad, not wrong. It's just to take that into account, right? So this has all kinds of applications. So when we come in and look at this, what if I'm, if I'm in this, where are we? I'm, so let's plot me right here because it's right here. If I'm here, what does that mean when I come to the family of God? What is that going to mean? It's going to mean I have certain expectations. It means that if I go to a church that's unsettled, far over here, I'm going to feel pretty unsettled, all right? Too loosey-goose. Now, this isn't if I haven't done some of my work. Hopefully, I've done some work and realized, and in my own life, have brought my own self a little closer to the center. Center, this is a range. This is, this is like the range we're looking for here, okay? So if I'm going to a church or trying to interact with a group of people who are here, or, or if, they're really, if they really value independence and autonomy, I'm going to be a little off-centered because I'm going to be, oh, let's be close, come together, you know? And they're like, whoa, careful now. Don't pull me in quite this, quite this hard. Don't expect this much. All right. We got a feel for this? You guys making some connections on how this works outside just family of origin and how we end up intersecting with people and groups in this way? All right? Also, another question is where's your current? If you're a parent with children, not just your family of origin, how did you replicate the, some of these or change them? Consciously or unconsciously. Here's what I love <clears throat> about grids like this is that if we can raise awareness, we have choices. Do we want to stay? Do I want to stay here in my life, how I was raised? Do I want to stay right there? Or do I want to make some changes? Grids like this raise the awareness and say, I have options. I could actually step out of this. When we're not aware of what we're replicating, we have a harder time changing it. So, good on that? Kurt, I'm going to move to the next one. Anything you want to say on this? I think this is so good. Okay. I'm enthralled. Great, great. There's one. There's one payment. All right. Wow. Um, excellent. All right. Thanks for tracking with me on this. Let's flip it over. We're going to do a whole different grid. I'm bringing these two because I think they work pretty amazingly together. All right? Family roles. What role did you play in your family? I know you're, I know you're reading here for a minute, so I'm going to let you read for a half a second. Do a quick scan. With this quick scan, 
by just a label and without me even giving you the characteristics, which I will. Do, how many of you have a feel for what role you've played in the family? <laughs> yes. Okay. So, now, some of you are going to have a harder time getting there, and that's okay. Part of it is it could be you had to change roles, or it could have been so chaotic that you weren't sure what was, uh, you, you weren't sure what role you were even supposed to play. So let's go through these real quick. Hero. Let's talk about our heroes. Perfectionists, overachievers, pos they, want po they get positive attention. They make the family look good. They're workaholics, leaders, admired. They tend to be, as children, quite adult-like. And they appear to have it all together. Okay? That kind of a quick overview for you. Self-professed, right here. Firstborn, I had to make the family look good. I couldn't, I couldn't uh, dishonor the family. And I actually think now as an adult, I internalized that more than my parents even wanted me to. I took it and ran with it, saying, I can achieve. Okay, I just got to tell you a story. First grade. This is something that set the course of my life. There's a positive side, and there's a very dark side to being the hero. First grade, I was called up at the end of the school year with one boy. It was a boy and a girl selected for a, an overall classroom award. And the, the top of the uh, piece of paper of the award said, Outstanding Achievement. Okay, first of all, I'm in first grade. Do I even know what those words mean? So I we get it all done. I'm standing up there thinking, okay, this is awesome. I'm sure I think it's a good thing. I think it's good. And I get out to the car. I say, Mom, what do those words mean? You know, outstanding achievement. She tells me something clicks. Something clicked. And I, I said, oh, that's my identity. Outstanding achievement. Got it. We're on it. Rest of my life. Uh, workaholism, looks like they have it together, uh, overachiever, perfectionism, these are all things that I de 